0: To the premiere episode of The Killjoy Guide, the weekly left feminist podcast for the 99%. I'm your host, Killjoy Meg. Please rate and review The Killjoy Guide on your favorite podcasting platform. Please support the show on Anchor at anchor.fm Killjoy Guide. For this first episode, we're just going to jump right into a topic that is very close to my heart, and that is healthcare. Healthcare is a human right, and as such, that makes it a feminist issue. I think we can all agree that the healthcare system that we have now is pretty much trash. So we do have different opinions on how we want to fix the healthcare system. We all agree that premiums are way too high, that co-pays are out of control, the prescription drug prices are way out of control. So we definitely all agree that we need to fix the problem, but there's not... A lot of agreement on a solution. For those of us on the left who believe in human rights, we see nationalized health care as a solution. Most of the industrialized nations in the world have some sort of single payer system. For instance, the British have their national health care system. Canada has a system that is localized by the province. Some single payer systems also allow for private health insurance for additional features, such as elective surgeries like plastic surgery. So what is the difference between a single payer and a public option, for instance? A public option you have to buy into. The public option would actually be quite similar to the way that we do student loans. When it comes to student loans, our government acts as a bank that provides the loans for students. A public option would be similar, that the government would take on the role of a health insurance company it would sell a health insurance plan to a buyer, the public. Just as I mentioned, a public option, you do have to buy into it. You don't get enrolled automatically. What often happens in systems that have a public option, private insurers start offloading those people on their plans that are not healthy. So by offloading those people who are not healthy, they can lower their premiums and take on more people who are healthy and who don't need that much insurance. That way they don't have to pay out as much. So thereby, they overload the public option and not be as efficient. Therefore, make it so that guess what your best option is? It's the private and not the public. Whereas in a single-payer system, the government is the only provider of health insurance. So the government can negotiate all prices. They can get rid of premiums, co-pays, and deductibles, negotiate prescription costs, negotiate with hospitals. That way they can lower the cost of services. And overall, since it's one system that is negotiating and not multiple healthcare providers, they can get the best prices for everyone across the board. So why should Medicare for All be our focus? Why is that the issue that I want to talk about? Let's look at this article by Natalie Shore that was published in Jacobin, in which she talks about the feminist case for single payer. She first talks about this group of women in the 1970s in Boston called the Boston Women's Health Book Collective. And they published a book called Our Bodies, Ourselves, that sold millions of copies. She says that in the 1970s, the small collective became one of our first feminist organizations to demand a single payer healthcare system. She writes, suffice to say that capitalism is incapable of providing good healthcare, both curative and preventative for all people. Cost-benefit analysis trades off the benefit to the people of collective public health in favor of the cost to the people of private patch-up medical care. The capitalist medical care system can be no more dedicated to improving the people's health than can General Motors become dedicated to improving the people's public transportation. So as long as we have a private healthcare system, We can never have a system that provides good health care to everyone. The benefits will always go to those who can actually pay for it because they have no incentive of improving the public health network. Just as General Motors has no interest in rebuilding our transportation system, all they care about is selling cars. And it's the same with a private health insurance company. All they're interested in is their bottom line, selling health insurance and making money. They continue in a subsequent edition, we believe that healthcare is a human right and that a society should provide free healthcare for itself. Healthcare cannot be adequate as long as it is conceived of as insurance. So this book was pretty radical for its day. As I said, this was published back in the 1970s. And even as early as June 2016, Planned Parenthood of California refused to endorse a bill for statewide single payer in California because they were focused on expanding and defending the ACA. So they cast it as a crusher for mostly women of color who work in healthcare administration. They argue that fighting for a single payer system is a distraction from the fight to defend the ACA. Even under the ACA, it's harder for women to get health insurance in the first place. The strains of child rearing and elder care make women more likely to seek more flexible employment like part-time remote or freelance work these forms of employment tend not only to pay less but are less likely to include health insurance benefits furthermore those that do provide benefits provide inferior ones companies with majority female workforces tend to offer less generous health care coverage than those that are majority male and less than one third of low-income workers receive any health insurance through work less than one-third Jobs paying at or around the minimum wage are most often occupied by women, the majority of whom are women of color. Trans women face even higher levels of poverty than cis women and are frequently saddled with impossible, high out-of-pocket costs. She goes on to say that there are 25% of non-elderly adult women insured as dependents of a working spouse, which weakens their control over both their insurance coverage and their relationship. House insurance has been found to be a common reason for getting married and for staying married one would rather not, especially among low-income people. Upon the loss of a spouse's coverage, it's difficult and expensive to continue receiving the same care. COBRA coverage, a program that allows people who lose employer-based insurance, it is often the only way to maintain provider networks, but it's wildly expensive and eventually expires. The whole idea of COBRA is that it's a means to stay on insurance while you're in between jobs. It's not something that you can stay on, For long periods of time. So ultimately, divorce leaves 65,000 women uninsured each year, with men being far more likely to maintain coverage after their marriages dissolve. Fewer men are covered by their working wives' health insurance, more women are covered by their husband's health insurance. So when men divorce, they keep their health insurance while women lose theirs. Further, women's unpaid domestic work. Puts further pressure on the contradictory demands of home, work, and the need to access coverage. Women disproportionately shoulder the responsibility of caring for others, putting them in an impossible situation when it comes to child and elder care. In order to maintain health insurance, they can't take too much time off work. As a result, they're forced to spend a significant portion of their wages on private care for the hours they're on the job. For low income women who don't qualify for insurance through employers, the problem can be severe, made worse still by right-wing efforts to impose higher copays and out-of-home work requirements on Medicaid recipients or to defund programs like CHIP that help parents pay for their children's health insurance. None of this has to say that the Affordable Care Act was a total wash, but the problem with even the Medicaid expansion is that that requires that your state, like the state that I live in, actually expand Medicaid. If you live in a state that refused to expand Medicaid, you continue to be screwed. Further, the overhaul of the individual insurance market, even though it helped somewhat to delink insurance from employment, it has done very little to actually fix any of the problems. And she says here that even under the ACA, even if premiums are more highly regulated, increased cost sharing, meaning you know you pay some and your insurance company pays some, still means that patients pay stiff prices simply for getting the care they need. Reproductive aged women still spend over 60% more than men due in out of pocket healthcare costs. At the same time, while state ACA exchanges offer an alternative to employer provided plans, the exchange plans remain in Inferior. Both tiers of insurance are plagued by narrowing provider networks and ever rising out of pocket costs, leaving millions to forego insurance because it's too unaffordable or find themselves stuck with plans they can't even afford to use. So, in short, the dynamics that make the American healthcare system so hostile to women remain largely unscathed. The pervasive commodification of healthcare and dependent care in the United States, coupled with employment based gatekeeping, engineers and impossible buying for women. They face more challenges accessing the healthcare system and pay more for their care when they do out of lower incomes that are further squeezed by child and elder care costs. One of the other points that I wanna make is that usually when we talk about a universal program, like a Medicare for all system, like free education, as a lot of these programs, tend to be racial equalizers. And one of the ways that it does this is that it raises questions of deservingness. So this article out of Fear. The magazine for science, medicine, anthropology says that Medicare for all challenge our ideas of Black deservingness. The, uh, this article says the healthcare debate is hardly just about health. Healthcare representing a politics by other means helps determine the socio political and economic futures of women, Black people, and Black women beyond the intrinsic health outcomes it directly produces. Amson Hagen is the author of this report, and he goes on to say that, a single-payer approach to healthcare has far-reaching potential beyond simply paying for care. It could be a linchpin in reducing abortion-related mortality for all women, reducing black maternal mortality, in improving health outcomes for black people more generally via increased health care usage rates under such considerations the moral underpinnings of a medicare for all approach or an insurance-based health care payment scheme are all the more apparent proponents of the former system argue for the health related and social benefits a universal health care scheme would produce however a medicare for all program may prompt us to examine notions of merit And deservingness that have up to now been deployed to entrench racial inequality within existing american social structures this article is bringing up we have an illusion of choice in this country like we think oh you know we can purchase our own health insurance we can get coverage in whatever way we want we can go to whatever doctor we want but that's not the reality in the system that we currently have one you don't choose your health insurance company, which doctors you get to see, what medicines you get to take, because you have to go by whatever is in network or out of network. You may not be able to get that MRI until you get an x-ray. They're practicing medicine on behalf of your doctor. They're not letting your doctor choose what medicines are best for you. They're choosing what medicines are best for you. They're choosing what tests are best for you. So your health insurance company is acting as a medical provider, not just as a way of paying for the cost of care. So whenever we talk about a Medicare. System and the cost prohibition of a health insurance company actually acting as a middleman, there we're not talking about the fact that they're actually practicing medicine on your behalf. And one of the questions that this paper raises is do people deserve free health care? And so in a country where the ideas of having a provided fundamental provisions like healthcare is devalued, as it is devalued in this country, in favor of a corrupt capitalist system, the question of people's deservingness emerges at every turn. amid. The these debates, a further question emerges, which people deserve healthcare? Is it just the elderly? Is it just the very, very poor? Is it just pregnant women? Is it just the people who can afford healthcare? Is it just people who have a job? So throughout our history, the subtext has always read, black people don't respect how well they have it. This is really demeaning. One of the things that a Medicare for all system does, it actually centers their care because it's going to provide health insurance to everyone. That's going to increase the rate that black people are able to go to the doctor. It's saying that you too deserve health care because health care is a human right. In a 2017 Pew Research poll, respondents were asked if racial discrimination as opposed to personal actions is holding back African Americans who can't get ahead and only 41% of Americans agree with this view with 49% stating that black people who fail to succeed in this country are mostly responsible for their own circumstances. With 54% of whites stating that African Americans themselves, not the effect of systemic racial discrimination, are responsible for their inability to get ahead in this country. It's unfortunately our racist system that keeps us from getting systems like Medicare for All, which would drastically improve the conditions of people of color. And this is brought out even further by another article from Bustle in which experts and advocates explain how women specifically would gain from a Medicare for All system. Often when we talk about how to pay for Medicare for All, we often don't talk about who would actually be paying less because in a Medicare for All system, we would be getting rid of deductibles premiums, co-pays, we'd be able to negotiate for lower drug prices, and the government would be able to negotiate with hospitals and with doctors to lower the cost of treatment. While our healthcare costs would go down, our taxes would go up, but we would have a net savings. The current conversation about paying for Medicare for All excludes who exactly will be paying less, and that includes women, people of color, low-income people, LGBTQ people, and other marginalized groups. Sarah Coombs the senior health policy analyst, the National Partnership for Women and Families, argues that a healthcare system like Medicare for All would particularly be important for women. Women spend a disproportionate amount of their economic resources on healthcare. So, expanding universal coverage is really essential. To women's health and economic security medicaid is the largest single payer of pregnancy related services in the united states in 2016 funded 43 percent of all births medicaid coverage expires in most states 60 days after a pregnant person has given birth despite the current maternal mortality rate in the united states we're seeing that women are facing mortality and severe maternal morbidity up to a year postpartum so it's essential to keep that coverage up to a year a universal healthcare system like medicare for all would allow anyone to have insurance regardless of reproductive status or income meaning that new parents wouldn't lose access to life-saving postpartum care Jillian brandstetter for the national center for transgender equality tells bustle that easier access to healthcare would help transgender people in a number of ways as we talked about earlier trans people are more likely to live in poverty Due to employment and housing discrimination among other factors and poverty in addition to making it harder to afford care can create and exacerbate health problems when you're living in poverty you're also more likely to face a variety of health issues ranging from psychological distress to substance abuse to hiv to a sedentary lifestyle to diabetes trans people more often living in poverty means they are more likely to experience those health problems which means we are even more likely or even more desperately in need of a healthcare system that is affordable. Stephanie Nakajima, the Director of Communications at Healthcare Now, who also advocates for single payers, says the question of how the country would pay for Medicare for All is too often framed around a fear-mongering around taxes, not necessarily about a crisis that focuses on marginalized people who don't have health access. Americans are going to have to confront their anti-tax bias if they want to stop people from dying simply because they can't afford care. So ultimately when we think about all the different benefits, it's clear we have to be fighting for a single payer system like Medicare for all, because that is the system that can directly impact when women, the black community, the LGBTQ community the most. So this is why Medicare for all is a feminist issue because intersectionally, it centers those who are most directly affected by this type of program. If healthcare is truly a human right, that we need to be fighting for every single human to be able to afford health care. The most efficient way of doing that in this country at this moment is by expanding the Medicare system. That really debunks that argument from Hillary Clinton in 2016, who said that by getting rid of the ACA and fighting for a single fair system, we'd have to start from scratch. That's not true, because we have the Medicare system. All we have to do is expand it. So that argument is bunk. Medicare for All is certainly a compromise, but it is the best program that we have at this time. That way we can start now to build a universal and intersectional healthcare system. Going off of that, let's go ahead and introduce this week's guest. Our guest today is Joy Marie Mann, also known as Savage Joy. She is the host of a video podcast in which she's interviewed over 200 people from the progressive movement, including candidates and representatives public figures, and fellow activists. Last year, she unexpectedly lost a majority of her eyesight, but she didn't let that stop her from continuing to do the things that she loves. And that includes uh, one of her most recent endeavors, which is being a co-head organizer of the March for Medicare for All, which now has over 40 marches across the country in order to march for Medicare for All on July 24th. So check out the link in the video or audio description to find the march nearest you and come join us on July 24th. With all that being said, please give a warm Killjoy welcome to Savage Joy. Thank you so much, Joy, for for joining us today. Thank you so much. And and I have trepidation about joining a show called Killjoy, but (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no offense taken. I mean, all of that being a Killjoy means is that, you know, we are the disruptors of the status quo. We don't play by respectability politics. And I think that you very much fit that bill. So you are a welcome addition to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, we're speaking truth to power. We're speaking uncomfortable truths here on the Killjoy Guide. <laughs> <laughs> Just off the bat, Joy, what can you tell the people about yourself and uh, how you got into politics?
1: Um, well, I mean, uh, to be honest, you know, I, I'd like to say I was in politics a long time. But, uh, you know, i Bernard Sanders in 2015 is what mm-hmm. woke my ass up like so many millions of others. Um, and I, you know, a little before he announced first time, I started seeing videos of him from the 80s just being total punk rocker, just mm-hmm. like you are in contempt, you are in contempt, and just, like, going (laughs) crazy, right, like, in the middle of the floor, I'd never seen anything like it, and he's, you know, this beautiful, like, messy disaster, and it was so awesome, and I thought, oh, my God, this guy's amazing, and I became, like, really interested in his stuff, and then when he announced, I was like, oh, my God, okay, and then, I started volunteering for the campaign and, um, which I had never done. I mean, I was always just, Oh, damn. I mean, they're better than Republicans. That's all I knew. Obama twice. Yay. And then I was like, okay, well that kind of sucked. Um, but I finally had something where I was like, Holy shit. Like I'm not the only one who wants these things. Like there are Mm. other people who want this change. Um, So it really inspired me. And then after um, volunteering uh, for the 2016 campaign, I I did a a video to my campaign staff that was just like, I didn't want to just text them and be like, I'm going to miss you. So I just made a three minute video that's like, you know, this. These past few months have changed my life. It's, you know, it's been like an eye-opening experience. I never knew I could be an activist. You know, mm-hmm. I organized my first march. It was a Bernie campaign march. Um, I spoke in a megaphone for the first time. Like these were, <laughs> you know, very daunting things to me. Um And so I made a video and I got very emotional just saying, you know, you guys are my second family. I love you very much. And it went viral. And all of a sudden I was contacted to do my own show. And I was just like, no, why? I don't want to be on camera. Um, And after like six months, I finally I was like, all right, I'll try one show. And it got like over five hundred, five thousand views. And I don't, I still don't understand why. Because I didn't mm-hmm. have a guest or anything. I was just moaning and like bitching about <laughs> like, DNC and all kinds of crap. And that was four years ago. So uh, in that time, I've done. Um, over 400 shows had over 300 guests, and wow, um, yeah, it's insane. Like it, you see those memories pop up on Facebook, mm-hmm. and you're like, "Holy shit, that was four years ago!" Oh my god! Like, <laughs> I I thought I'd be lucky if I did it like a month. Because right. I, I just, I would take Ativan before every show. My knees would be shaking and I'd be like, oh my God, what are people going to think? And I'd read every single comment and I'm like, I really don't give a fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah, you have to have a thick skin in order to endure all the comments. Like YouTube and Twitter and all the in social media, it's brutal, particularly towards women on the internet.
1: Absolutely. It really mm-hmm. is. I don't think, uh, you know, I mean, podcasters as a whole deal with a lot of trolling and stuff, but being mm-hmm. a woman and now as a disabled woman, mm-hmm. I like, and the only disabled woman in indie media, um, I really get some, uh, some real gems. Uh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's something that a lot of, um, you know, a lot of indie podcasters are white men. I mean, this, mm-hmm. it's the truth. So, um, and back when I started four years ago, there weren't very many podcasts at all. Um, so now seeing more people of color and more women and stuff, it's been awesome. Just seeing it right. really come to fruition and and become more of an um, organic thing and more of um, a universal thing
0: absolutely it's so important too for all of us women on the left especially to be uplifting each other and um pushing each other's content making sure that it's getting out there and pushing our women of color especially in our people who are even further marginalized like I'm a white woman and I'm, I don't really have many disabilities or anything like that but I do have you know, like I am ace and I um I, I've I do have disabilities, like I am ADHD, and I do have preexisting conditions that are very important for, which is why I'm a huge advocate for Medicare for all, much like yourself. Um, And we can get into that in just in a few moments. But go ahead and tell me more about like really being a disabled woman on the left and being a podcaster.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you know and. I did like a three or four part uh, tweet today because I was just so upset. Mm -hmm. I have um, people who accuse me of faking going blind. Um, I have, uh, there was a a complete piece of shit last night who made a six minute video about how I'm trying to grift $50,000 and faking uh, being blind. And he wants to call social security on me. And I'm like, Man's not my real last name, but okay. Um, And, you know, I have these people attacking me, um, questioning the pain I'm going through and trying to invalidate all of the trauma I'm experiencing. I have people who say they're on the left making fun of me for losing my sight. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like that. I, I deal with this all the time. And I take Mm -hmm. screenshots and stuff, but you still have tons of mutual follows. You still have, you know, uh, there's still gonna be people who are like, well, they're not a bad person. No, Mm -hmm. you make fun of you're you're an ableist, you're a bad person. Like let's just get real. Um Mm -hmm. so yeah, and I mean, I the other day I did a stream, I wanna say it was monday um and for the first time in four years i literally had to make uh take the video down because i was getting like just not even trolled like threatened harassed bullied i mean it was it was bad and um many i'm sorry
0: yeah and i'm disagreeing with you
1: I mean most of them were geared towards being a woman being disabled Mm -hmm. you know and, and you I don't know if you've dealt with this but I'm sure you will you know you get the guys that come in the comments and put like eggplants and like water mm-hmm. squirts and like all yeah. this stuff and I'm like you know what I'm like seriously talking about some important shit right now like can you not right. do that like if you're doing that that's fine like it's a compliment but I like just don't tell me because I'm really like you're distracting me <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah you, know, you get that as well mm-hmm. yeah I mean lo- luckily I haven't received much of that yet uh (laughs) just because i still have a much smaller platform than than you do and that's something that definitely worries me about this uh eventually potentially growing um that you know especially coming out here with a feminist podcast you know that there's going to be some creeps who are going to be saying some shit um but that's let's be clear like that type of behavior is not okay especially from people who consider themselves leftists like if you consider yourself a leftist and you are speaking ill of people who have disabilities or if you're using in you know this discourse has been going around for a while that using the n-word saying you know nasty shit about people who are lgbtq or invalidating people's trans identities you're not a leftist you're not you're absolutely. a cosplaying liberal absolutely and that's that's is that's just not okay cut it the fuck out yeah. like otherwise like you you don't like cancel culture we'll cancel your ass yeah if you're gonna be indulging in that kind of behavior because it's not okay if you want a just society if that's what you're looking for if you're looking for a just society you don't do that shit if all you want is healthcare, you're a cosplaying liberal who just wants healthcare. Absolutely. Well, the
1: um, you know, uh, one of the things that I dealt with way more when when I first started because I wasn't as known, but something I do still deal with is women who come into my comment section and tell me I'm so ugly. Um, and I am disgusting for having piercings and tattoos and colored hair, and they can't pay attention to what I'm saying because I'm so repulsive, um, things like that. So I get a lot of that from women. Are they men with Mm -hmm. fake accounts? I wouldn't be surprised, but, um, Mm -hmm. that's also something you do have to deal with. Um, being a woman podcaster that I'm not certain mm-hmm. guys deal with i'm not sure if they get um you know told about aesthetics uh, mm-hmm. certainly not as much uh, as women
0: absolutely especially considering what we-, we know as women we're much more valued for whatever aesthetic object yeah. you know objectification that we can uh contribute to like we're all like our looks and um like whether or not we're appealing and sexy is basically what uh, a lot of people contribute our value to rather than what we think what we say so the fact that you can't concentrate on what you're saying because of how you look like that's a problem like that yeah you're not a serious person right Exactly. And especially mm-hmm. if you're a woman
1: saying exactly. that a woman, um, that's pretty gross. Uh, you know, you you do get comments like that. And, and, you know, four years ago when I first started, there was a point where I said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't. It's... Mm-hmm messing with my head to be told like I'm ugly 247 and stuff like that. And um then I considered going to actual podcast, but my audience is like, no, your facial expressions are the best thing about your show. (laughs) Like, all right, fine, fuck it. And Mm -hmm. then you know, over time I was just like, I just don't care anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. because you realize, you know, you have way more supporters than haters. You do. I mean, it's so easy to focus on the people who are upsetting you and stuff. But post, you know, post on Twitter that you're upset and watch how many people say, but you're amazing and you're awesome and you're Mm -hmm. inspiring. And I mean, just watch like you. You are so much more valued than you are. You know, uh, made fun of. Absolutely,
0: yeah, and I think that is particularly as I think as women we do tend to take those things personally, considering we are basically conditioned to you know, take on a lot of that uh, that baggage and really care about what people think about us. So we that's basically what it comes to. That. We just have to be willing to say, you know what, no, fuck you. Like you don't nope. like me, fuck you. I don't care. Like yeah, my- there are enough. There's enough. Problem. We have to dwell in the positivity and just let the negativity just like nope, not gonna deal with it. You don't like me, fuck you. I don't care.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things is you know being able to see an asshole in the comments and calling them out by name and being mm-hmm. like, oh, so and so. Yeah, you can need a bag of dicks, and then all my <laughs> viewers come in and they're like you and it's it's mm-hmm. kind of hilarious because my shows are all live every single one um mm-hmm. so it's real time and I'll just be like hey so and so um <laughs> it's kind hey, of you want to you know, come in here and do this shit uh-uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly you may want to delete your account <laughs> they call, some of my viewers say they're savagers <laughs>
0: Oh wow. And, like, they, like, name themselves. I'm like, that's so cute. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Yeah. That you have, you have a fellowship. I love it. The seven yes! years <laughs> come and get it. <laughs> and you know, that kind of gets us into. How have you dealt over the past year with, Um, developing, because this is only a very recent thing for you, that you've developed this disability of going blind. Like, tell me what that process has been like, and partly in regard to the healthcare system, how you've been dealing with all of that.
1: Yeah, it's been um, incredibly traumatic. Um, It's been uh, almost two years now. Um, I woke up one morning without the majority of my eyesight and um, went to the hospital and they diagnosed me with something called myopic degeneration. And um, I needed eye treatments that were over $12,000 each eye every 30 days no um, with insurance which did not want to pay for it because it's incredibly rare and I was only 40 and they, um, I would just spend hours and hours on the phone every day trying to get these treatments. And it didn't stop me from going blind, but it, uh, helped keep the, the site, the little site I did have, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, keep it there. So it was very you know, important that I got those uh, treatments mm-hmm. because that's the only way I could start working is I would like I was, you know, I was an actor. I was trying to, you know, just like my boss would walk by and I'd act like I'm taking a sip of water so she wouldn't see how slow I was typing and like how like close I was to the keyboard and stuff like that. And they started noticing like how slow um I my productivity was and how much I was calling out and I lost my job. I'm in Pennsylvania. It was completely legal. Um because I did reach out to a lawyer, it was totally
0: legal. Um so that became the process yes. even of, though you even though you had the disability. Yes. That's um,
1: because because um, at that point, I, I didn't apply for social security disability mm-hmm. or anything. So in Pennsylvania, they literally can just say, you're not being productive. You're gone. They don't care why. They have mm-hmm. no responsibility to give you a bigger keyboard, a bigger screen, uh, allow you to miss work. Like they have absolutely no obligation to do that. Um Then, you know, then fighting for disability, having to appeal that. It's been the past two years have just been just absolutely overwhelming. I have thousands of dollars of bills with insurance. Mm -hmm. Um, I, you know, I've had um, to just change my entire life. I mean, I fall a lot. I walk into things a lot. Um, I, the things I have trouble with the most are using, like paying with a card, trying to put it in the machine, trying to like, Mm -hmm. I I can't find where to put it or what buttons to push. Um, you know, uh, things like trying to put a plug in a socket Mm -hmm. that could take me forever. I mean, I just, I can't, um, trying to put a pen cap on a pen. I just sit there Mm -hmm. like this. I you know, and it's little things like this um, which turn out to not be so little. And right. um, you know, one of the one of the things that's been incredibly trying is during COVID when you know you go to stores and they have arrows you can walk this way in this aisle and that way in that aisle, and I can't see the freaking arrows. So I was always having people, "You can't walk this way," and stuff, and I would just say. I'm sorry. Like, so I have a cane and everything, but I just finally said to my husband, can you just go food shopping by yourself? Cause I just can't deal with the anxiety anymore of being told I'm going the wrong way. And, and people stare at you when you have a cane and, or when you're looking real close at something or um, I haven't become comfortable with that yet. I haven't. And, mm-hmm. and I fear I won't. You know, it's a it's a very big change. Um, So the you know, the uh, the sick care system, you know, is great at exacerbating everything you're going through that's traumatic by yeah i'm sorry i know you're losing your sight but you're gonna have to call us like every day for pre-authorizations and to try and help with the medical bills and you know you're gonna have to send in over 100 pages of documentation to social security and keep filling out the same freaking packet even though you can't see um are you still there i'm still here (laughs) oh okay um so, you know, it's it it really does just exacerbate every just the entire trauma you're going through. Um, and it it got to the point where I was just like, I, I give up like I can't even handle this anymore. I I'm not living. I'm existing. Um, I've always been very independent. I can't drive. I can't go to stores by myself, like things like that. I just I can't. So it's it's taken a real toll um, to have a friend say, let's go to the movies and then say, guess what? You have to grab my arm and walk me to the bathroom or things like that. it It's really, really difficult
0: to accept. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine. Um, and it's amazing how much we take for granted even those little things, like being able to plug a light into a socket, being able to put a pen cap back on, like just those little gestures that you wouldn't think of on a normal daily basis that we do every day. And when you suddenly aren't able to do those things, it's it's like, oh, wow, this is like a mammoth effort for just this tiny little thing. that Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's insane that we don't, yeah, it's insane that we don't accommodate people who have these types of issues. And like some, someone that uh, I had as a professor, you know, we talked a lot about uh, disability and some of the things that I learned, like that we really shouldn't even consider it like accommodation. It's like, this world is not designed for it's only designed for able-bodied people of a very specific um with a very specific scope like even if like you're too short being able to not reach like a high shelf and we don't accommodate for these differences of you know being able to just walk through a door you know like the fact that like i'm left-handed i can't hard for me to get left-handed scissors you know (laughs) like just these tiny little things that we don't accommodate for for everything's made for a very specific type of able-bodied person and it's absolutely ridiculous that we live in this type of society that yeah i think i i agree and one of the hardest things is so ironic, but
1: one of the hardest things for me, you know, when you call someone now, call a place now, you don't get a person, press one for this, press 10 for this. Mm-hmm. Well, trying to get a hold of my insurance company. so Oh much, gosh. Enter the number on your healthcare card. Uh, That's insane. <laughs> press one for such and such, mistype, hangs up. So I will spend hours trying mm-hmm. to get some some person on the phone because I mistype and it just disconnects otherwise mm-hmm. you know I went and I got a bunch of um blind accessibility equipment thanks
0: to um GoFundMe and all my incredible comrades and Which, I ordered, that should not have been necessary that should never have been even necessary for you to have to do a GoFundMe for that
1: absolutely
0: So all of it was
1: prescription, but I had to go on the website and sign a document and stuff. And then it gave me a capacity or whatever it is. And I'm thinking, wait, you sell blind accessibility equipment and you're giving me one of those things that I have to freaking see the pictures to pick. And it kept kicking me out. And I had to try like five times. I'm like, okay, even a blind accessibility freaking website? Like, this is freaking bananas. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. crazy. So I'm constantly dealing with that shit. And I'm like, you know, I, I feel guilty myself. I'm like, you know... I look back to when I would say "blind" as a as a pejorative. Like, what are you blind? Mm-hmm. Like, how you're acting completely blind to that, or turn a blind eye, or you know, mm-hmm. you say all these things, and and people say stuff like that to me all the time, and they use it at meaning ignorant. And right. I, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. It's something right. that's so common. But now when I hear it, I'm like, don't please right. don't equate me with being ignorant just because i'm blind um so you become so much more cognizant of you know so many things that you know like i've been falling down the stairs and stuff and like i just have bruises everywhere and we've had to like Mm -hmm. get all these things for the house like i got like foam stickers to put on the microwave you know so i can actually feel which buttons to push and like these treads for the ends of the steps that are bright yellow and I I mean it's just it's it, your your whole life changes and and my mm-hmm. husband's life has changed too I mean mm-hmm. our house has been like I call it baby proofed but <laughs> you know, I mean like that's kind of what it is mm-hmm. you just gotta kind of revamp everything for someone who can't
0: see absolutely and This is one of the reasons why it's so important to think, you know, intersectionality, intersectionally about it, because it's not that it just impacts the person who is disabled, but every person that they have to interact with. And we have to be accommodating and we have to learn to adjust how we live in order to and we have to be willing to do that. And it's funny that you mentioned like the pejorative of you know are you blind? Uh, it reminds me of like almost like the scene from Daredevil with uh, Ben Affleck where he's at the restaurant meeting Elektra for the first time, and he's you know saying like hey um do you, can you pass me the sugar? He's like, she's like it's right in front of you. She's like um you'd have to be a bit more specific like what are you? And she says like what are you? And he says blind. Yes. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because it's like, we don't think about it whenever, you know, it's just like not something that's in our wheelhouse so often, but then once we're confronted with it, it's like, Oh my God, it really is that bad that, and we do have to be very careful. Like language is so important like that, and we don't realize how, our language is very much catered to ableism and like, for instance, like, oh, I stand with Planned Parenthood. Oh, what about the people who can't stand? (laughs) Oh yeah, you stand with Planned Parenthood. I mean, we know that by standing, it's just like, I support Planned Parenthood, but the idea of I stand when some, there are people who cannot stand. And absolutely mm-hmm. it's just
1: like people wanted to um we suggesting we made uh, our slogan for our march march with us well i can't because okay. i'm live in pennsylvania i'm doing uh the march in dc if i fall i have out of state hospital bills and um e- I have uh I booked uh Reverend Nanny Chambers who um is you know Black Panther, incredible woman. Mm-hmm. She's in an electric wheelchair, she's going on the march. Wow. She can't march. So mm-hmm. you know, this is we don't wanna put that out there. No, not everybody's gonna march. We're gonna have elderly right. people who can't. We're gonna have people who are just like can't because it's a billion degrees out. Like, mm-hmm. no. Like we're we're not going to do that. So yeah, same the right. point. Absolutely.
0: Mm-hmm. And when did when did healthcare become such an important issue for you? Like, was it early on, or did it really hit you when you started um, having your disability? Well, you know, I I worked in healthcare for over
1: a decade, mm-hmm. and and that's what I was doing when uh, when I lost my sight. So um, I've always been very passionate about healthcare um, and Medicare for all, even before Bernard. And I, you know, the one, um, the jobs I did in healthcare were um, things like CHIP, um, medical assistance, Medicare, appeals and grievances. So it was, I was always dealing with people with very low income people who were disabled, Um, people like this and, and in the appeals and grievances, which I did for about four years, um, it was very difficult because it was all Medicare. So it was all elderly and, uh, disabled people. And they would do things like literally send in a $10, uh, you know, uh, bill for their water, like a copy of their bill and say, if I put $10 towards this doctor visit, I can't pay my water bill. Like these are the things I was, you know, seeing every day. And, you know, I, it, I would just go home and cry all the time. And, you know, um, when I was working for medical assistance, woman called me crying. I could hear a guy moaning in the background and she says, my son just got stabbed. He doesn't have insurance. And I'm thinking, this woman is literally calling to help to get insurance because her son was stabbed. She didn't even wanna take him to the hospital before she called. Like, this is so violent. This is so disgusting and you know it's things like that that just stay with you and you know it I mean I'm not gonna lie I started (laughs) I I shouldn't say this publicly but I started pushing people through (laughs) because I'm like like I'll I'll never forget this one lady was like oh my god it it denied me because I was fifty dollars over I was like can you leave two hours early tomorrow and just reapply <laughs> like, I, like and i know like t- that's you know i don't know if it's illegal or whatever but <laughs> i actually have a heart and when right. someone's telling me they have three kids and they're working two jobs and they can't afford healthcare, and their kid has a cold sorry i'm pushing that shit through right if you don't you are an asshole with no empathy so I'm an enemy <laughs>
0: to the insurance. <laughs> I was, but mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. <laughs> right. You're a bit of a whistleblower here. I like it. <laughs> I was.
1: And, you know, I was just uh, interviewed for a Medicare for All documentary and uh, by Kenny Ballantyne oh, in wow. Los Yeah, it was freaking amazing. And... Uh, he also interviewed Wendell Potter. Um, so Mm -hmm. I got to sit there and watch that. And Wendell is a a whistleblower. He was the, he's um, amazing. Yes. He's the VP for Cigna who was a whistleblower, stepped down, exposed all those fuckers. And Mm -hmm. he is the coolest person I've ever met. I mean, he's just so cool. Um, and, you know, just listening to how like, you know, this this 17-year-old girl who had cancer was being affected by, uh, was not being given her necessary treatments because of things he himself was putting in the, you know, into process with Cigna. And he finally just said, I cannot be responsible for this anymore. Um, and, And he quit and he called them out and he testified in court numerous times. And Um, He's a huge, huge ally to Medicare for all. Um, He's just wonderful. And I just adore him to pieces because he's so sweet. But also, like, you think you're going to meet him, you know, and he's like going to be in this suit and stuff. And we enter his office, and it's like this living room with like couches (laughs) and shit. And he comes out in shorts and his bare feet. And he's like, should I change? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, I love you. He was so cool. So I digress. But I, I just think that's the coolest.
0: <laughs> now, that is like they always kind of joke, like, you know, you shouldn't meet your heroes. But it's, it's awesome when you do. And they're as cool as you think they probably are. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because, you know and you'll find this too, when you
1: interview people, you get a lot, you really see how people are behind the scenes,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: I may invite someone on, and then by the time they leave, I'm like, why did I ask mm-hmm. them on, you know, um, right. because they might, <laughs> AOC, um, <laughs> they, they might be a different oh, person she got behind the camera,
0: um, <laughs> oh, is she voguing a little bit? What's that? Voguing a little bit. Uh, like, oh, little mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah, something like that. Oh boy. I've never said that publicly, but I've always wanted to so bad. You heard it here first. I have the exclusive. Yeah. AOC is not what she seems. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is quite the scoop. Um, <laughs> and I mean, I will say, you know, just because I feel like healthcare is really such an important issue, and you know, and I'll I'll tell my story really quick, just um, and like for those who don't know, like I was born in Canada. And I was born with a pre existing condition. I was born without a thyroid gland. So I am congenital hypothyroid. And one of the things about Canada versus the United States, I mean, Canada has had their healthcare system for, you know, like 50 years now, I believe. I believe it it, uh, was put in in like the 1960s or 1970s. I would have to uh, look that up just to be sure. But People have a complete misconception about um, how research works in Canada versus the United States. Like everybody likes to say that the United States has so much more innovation than Canada. But I mean, in Canada, like you have one of the foremost like health, heart, um, they do research on like heart conditions. Like one of the foremost departments on that topic is in Toronto, um, but also in, in Canada, the the test that tests um, TSH levels and thyroid levels, it was not a standard for testing newborns in the United States until twenty years after Canada was already doing it. Twenty years. So I was born in eighty eight. So imagine if I had been born in the United States, I would not have been tested for hypothyroidism. I likely would, and some of the consequences of that are that I would have very dry skin, I would experience dwarfism, so I would be very short, I would be very pudgy, my ears, I would have all kinds of like facial deformities, and I would be mentally retarded. That, those are the consequences of not catching it early on. So luckily... I am very fortunate that my mother is a nurse and she caught on to a lot of the symptoms early on of like the fact that I didn't want to be held by her. I wanted to be in the incubator where it was warm because I was very cold sensitive. And they tested me within the first couple of days of my being born for, for hypothyroidism. They found out I had no thyroid gland, which is very rare form of hypothyroidism to not be born without a thyroid gland at all and so for the very first year of my life and this is another fortunate uh part of being having been born in canada is that my mom had like a year's maternity leave so she you know because she had to take me to the doctor every three weeks so she had to take the trip from Antigonish Ganesh to Halifax. Luckily, my grandfather was a train operator, so he, uh, she got to ride on the train for no cost to go from Antigonish Ganesh to Halifax and back every three weeks for my checkups. If I had been born in the United States, no way in hell would she have been able to accommodate that, particularly when I was the third of three kids, my, and she became pregnant with my sister, during that time, because my sister is a year younger than I am. So having to deal with all of that, all of that, having to keep me mentally stimulated to make sure that I developed properly. And then when when we did move to the United States, when I was seven, they had to fight tooth and nail to get me covered on their health insurance. They had to fight tooth and nail to do that, to get me covered. And then when I was in college and this was right after I started at USF the same time that Obama was um, going through his election. I volunteered for his campaign at that time. And but whenever I was in college, every single semester, I would have to get a letter from the college proving that I was a student just to stay covered by my parents health insurance because otherwise I would be knocked off at 18 and I was graduating at the age of 23 freaking out about having to get a job because if I didn't I would have no health insurance no way to pay for my medication and I dealt with that for the first time over this past year I only just recently because I lost my health insurance when I graduated from grad school I only I had it from my my main job when I was working as a library assistant after um, after I graduated from college, I went back to, to grad school, had health insurance there. But then this past year, I lost my health insurance after I graduated. Finally got it because of COVID, because I could apply for uh, Obamacare and I got a subsidy. So luckily, I'm only paying like $31 a month for that, but it's still... It's crazy because at 23 freaking out about oh my god i might not be covered by health insurance and who knows if they'll even cover me because i have a pre-existing condition but luckily right before i graduated is when they passed the aca so i will not say like i have a lot of bad things to say about the aca but that is one thing that i am grateful for is that they covered pre-existing conditions and that I could be covered under my parents' plan until I was 26. Those are two things that the ACA did right. There's a lot of things the ACA did wrong. It did not go far enough. It is a giveaway to health insurance companies. And we can say that we need Medicare for all. We absolutely yeah. need Medicare for all for like in, in or particularly being born in, the, in Canada and understanding what universal healthcare did for me and how my life would be completely different without it. If I had had been born in the United States rather than in Canada, my life would be completely different. I would not be the person that's sitting in front of you today. I would be a completely different person. I probably would not be able to do this. So I am grateful for universal health care.
1: Absolutely, I I actually was born with hypothyroidism as well, um, and I have an identical twin sister, and we both were. So we we were diagnosed the first few days as well, um, and they told us the same thing. You know, you could very well have been mentally retarded if they didn't. Catch this and everything. So, you know, thankfully we did have healthcare through my dad. But, um you know, you are absolutely right. Especially as someone who worked in healthcare for over ten years, I will never deny that the ACA helped in those two regards ever, mm-hmm. because it helped me too. I was paying over seven hundred dollars a month for Cobra. Right seven hundred a month you can claim mm-hmm. your um your uh insurance and stuff on your taxes you don't get it back or anything but mm-hmm. I I came to the the total of over twelve thousand dollars in one year and mm-hmm. what was my pre-existing condition at that time just hypothyroidism you take a right. pill every day like but even they even ask you if you have allergies things right. like that.
0: so Even being a woman, even being a woman, the the fact that you can, you have the potential of carrying life means, oh, that's a pre-existing condition. Yep, absolutely. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I will never deny that uh, the ACA did those two things and helped Mm -hmm. many, many people. Um, But you're right. It does need to go further. But no, I mean, I will credit that with those two things, because I've had to sit on hundreds of phone calls of crying parents and crying people saying no one will give me insurance because I have because I take medication for X, Y and Z and having to tell them we don't give it out either, you know, and things like that. Um, So yeah, no, I mean, it changed lives. There's no question. Um, But now we still have, it was 30 million people uninsured. Now it's, uh, it's over 50. I'm not sure what Mm -hmm. the the new number is, but over 50 million uninsured. Mm -hmm. And our wonderful President Biden is saying he's open to putting the fee back on taxes. If you don't have insurance, you're going to pay a fee. So if you can't afford insurance, you're going to have to pay for it because that makes mm-hmm. so much freaking sense.
0: Right, and and we should also mention that Biden is now taking or is now taking away, um, or he's allowing the prices to be raised on EpiPens and um, what was the other thing? Uh, I can't remember, A diabetes medica- medication? That yeah, was I- insulin. Insulin, yeah. It was so insulin and EpiPens. So if you have allergies or diabetes, then you're basically fucked. So you're going to be yes. paying more because he took away... That's a what? one decent thing that Trump did was put that cap on insulin prices. And Biden's taking that away. So yes. to say that Biden... So fuck you people who want to talk about harm reduction. Biden took that away but that trump gave to us like trump is a monster i will say that i i will never say that trump is a good person but biden is no better he is not harm reduction so get that thought out of your head he is not harm reduction
1: i mean you gotta admit it it hurts less when the person has a d next (laughs) to their name I
0: disagree. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my God, I'm kidding. I know. I'm damn I, I disagree <laughs> with that. I think we both disagree <laughs> with that. I think we can both definitely disagree that it is, does it, I think it hurts more. It definitely yeah. hurts more when it's a person with a D next to their name. Because, you know, as we, you know, I to talk to other people about this, that at least when it's a Republican, you see it coming. Like, you know that they hate you. <laughs> They're coming at you from the front with a knife, and you can see the knife coming, and you can try to fight it off. But Democrats, they try to—I like the way that uh, my friend Jackie described it. They try to give you a hug, so like, "Oh yeah, come closer, just come closer. Let me give you a nice hug. stab you in the back." Mm-hmm. They want to—they want to hold you, but then stab you in the back. Pretend that they're that they are your—they're your friend. They're not our friends. They're not our allies, so let's just dispense with the idea that they're our allies, because they're not. They don't care. If they actually did, they would be fighting for
1: us. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Biden a few times has tweeted healthcare (laughs) is a human right. Then give us healthcare. (laughs) Like, you ain't Bernie, motherfucker. Okay, Mm -hmm. stop. You like oh my god that is so infuriating so you're right when republicans say no you just want your free shit we're not giving it it's expected but when democrats Mm -hmm. are like oh we have a progressive caucus and Mm -hmm. you elect people like the squad who say we are activists and we're being elected Mm -hmm. to fight for these things tooth and nail And they haven't even tweeted Medicare for All for months and start saying things like access. No, Mm -hmm. that's that is betrayal. Republicans are betrayal. Like Democrats are the ones who we've donated to, who we've voted for, Mm -hmm. who we've, you know, supported, who we've aligned with. They're the ones betraying us. Republicans, we've never voted for them. We've never aligned with them. Right. Why why spend all your time attacking them? Yeah, they're garbage. And yeah, post about them now. We know that. Yes. Like hold people accountable. They are not mm-hmm. pop stars. Like it's exactly. okay. Tell them you said you were going to do this and you haven't. If you can hold people accountable, you are literally watching we are we are watching eugenics of the poor right now. Right. That's what we're watching. And you are contributing to that if you keep making excuses and settling for crumbs and incrementalism Mm
0: -hmm. and if anything has really exposed that it has been COVID. considering Mm -hmm. how many people lost their jobs and as a result lost their employee-based health insurance it's like you i think you gave out the number that it was like we now have like 50 million people who are without health insurance? And luckily, like I said, luckily I was able to get Obamacare because of COVID, and I have the subsidy. But if COVID hadn't happened, would I have insurance right now? Probably not. Like I, like I'm, I was unemployed. I couldn't even uh, get Medicaid because I live in Florida and they didn't do Medicaid expansion. So. We're screwed in a lot of in so many ways. Like, if health insurance should not be linked to your job, because we all and we both know, like, when it's not, that's actually good for business. Because small businesses, that's a weight off of their shoulder. That means that they can now put money towards um, hiring more people, doing better benefits. In that, people who are no longer, you know, health hostage their job because they need their health insurance they can now go and say okay you know what i want to start that small business and they can be entrepreneurial if they want to be like 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 i said i'm very lucky that i have obamacare right now that i can do this because i know like i have my mom talking to me all the time like when are you gonna get a job When are you gonna job because you need health care you need health care like especially since i have a pre-existing condition i understand i need health care but this is what I want to do. And it would be 10 times easier for me to be entrepreneurial and, you know, do, you know, reach for my dreams and be able to create a business if I didn't have to worry about healthcare because it's already there. That's that safety net that we all need. We all need healthcare. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, one of the and and we have a, a doctor flying out from Indiana to to speak at our D.C. March about this. Um, she's a, a clinical psychologist. And I reached out to her because I want someone to, to speak about how much anxiety, depression and uh, suicide mm-hmm. and self-harm has increased since COVID. And one of the reasons is because people have lost their jobs, they can't afford insurance and. Uh, they're going without medications, without therapy, Mm -hmm. um, things like this. And, and that could be like literally suicide would decrease, anxiety would decrease, people could get the help they need and homeless people could see doctors like this would change so many aspects of people's lives even Mm -hmm. prisoners would be getting the health care they they need Mm -hmm. really everyone kids who are uninsured who have colds and you can't even go pick up a prescription i mean this is violence that's the Mm -hmm. only word for it it is violence um So like I, uh, I interviewed, um, a gentleman from prison, uh, who was wrongly accused 32 years ago and found innocent and still in jail. Um, so he
0: was found innocent, but he's still in jail. Yeah. What? Yeah. How?
1: Um, because what's her name? Governor, uh, oh my God, Michigan. Um, Gretchen Whitmer. Whitmer yeah she has had his paperwork on her desk forever and she's a piece of crap what and yeah yeah I did over three-hour interview with him in prison oh my god his gosh. story is just it, I can't even tell you but um the reason why I brought him up is because he's in prison He's innocent. He's been proven innocent. He's been in 32 years and he developed a brain tumor. He developed oh um, a heart problem. He got COVID. He has mm-hmm. no treatment. They've ignored him. So, when you know, like, I'm not talking about, oh, you know, axe murderers and stuff, they deserve free health care. I'm talking about basic human rights. Mm-hmm. Like, He's being denied even masks and stuff like that. Like these, these people don't realize like how little regulations are in place for so many things. Um, So, yeah, I mean, uh, it would really help every aspect of of our society to to have Medicare for all. One
0: hundred percent. And. I definitely like this is I haven't I just did another interview with a very close friend of mine. And it's going to be probably next week's um, episode, the episode after yours, um, in which she talks about her experience um, trying to get on Medicaid under her parents. But she they should the basically the idea was that she. Her parents could have been denied their Medicaid, and they both have chronic health conditions. They both had health chronic health conditions, and they were on Medicare and Medicaid. They could have been denied Medicaid because she made too much money, because she was contributing, and they included her college scholarships, which was very odd. And you'll learn more about her story in in her interview. But so she made one dollar, one dollar over the threshold of where they would have been cut off so it, basically the idea was the problem was she could either you know quit quit one of her two jobs that she was working in order to make ends meet and to conti- contribute to her household she she could cut back on hours or she could get rid of one of those jobs but then and she would get health care or not get health care but be able to make ends meet the fact that she was forced into that position for health insurance is insane and the, and she is a very good example of why we need a system like medicare for all that in which we're all covered i did have one person with a
1: 5 dollar overage mm-hmm. that that's just oh my that's god that's insanity that's insanity it's a hostage situation you're mm-hmm. you're fucked either way so <laughs> That's just so awful. So yeah. I mean, awful.
0: Yeah, I don't want to tell too much more of her story because I want her to be able to speak for herself. But I, I don't think she might if I told at least that little bit. Well, definitely for you. Like, for definitely. Her. Yeah, but definitely uh, check it. Check out the next episode for more from from her and you can you'll be able to meet her. Uh, she's wonderful. Um, so let's get into the March for Medicare for All. And there's been so, first of all, before we get into the controversy, go ahead and tell me what where this idea for the March for Medicare for All came from and how that's developed over the last several months. So um, uh, two uh, gentlemen, Sharif and Ricky
1: in New York, decided in January that they wanted a, a
0: Medicare for All March in D.C., is it, was this related to force a vote, or as a result of force a vote? Um, we can, we can see, get into force a vote too if you want to, and uh, after you oh, I go through love this, talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, so, it, so first, tell me how it happened.
1: It it was in a way. I mean, no, most of us are part of force mm-hmm. the vote. Um, it, it it probably had something to do with it, just because we're like. It didn't work, Uh, Mm -hmm. so we need to take another action. So they created the one location in DC. And then, you know, I jumped on board and a few other people jumped on board. And instead of saying I'm gonna do one in Pennsylvania where I am, I said, I'll help with the DC. Um, And then, promoting it online and everything people started saying can we add one can we add one and we're like hell yeah so now we're literally up to 34 marches across the country and that's happened within the past two months so it's been pretty insane um because i'm the one who's been booking like most of the speakers and bands and everything just because of during my show and and knowing mm-hmm. whoever, um, so it's been pretty crazy. Um, but you know, it it's beautiful because it has the potential to get thousands and thousands of people in the street um, in mm-hmm. thirty four cities. Uh, you know, just saying we're sick of asking. Like we demand Medicare for all. We demand it. End of story. Um, And that was kind of the idea, because if you look at other countries, they don't ask. Mm -hmm. They they literally just say, hey, uh," you know, they call up their neighbor and they're like, hey, let's go protest something. And then like Mm -hmm. a couple hundred thousand people are in the freaking road. Mm -hmm. you know so like but united states is like let's make hashtags and shit like that and we're like no like we people talk about general strike 24 7 but who the hell's organizing on i don't know so yeah we're gonna do this shit let's y'all didn't want force the vote okay well here's marches Here's us mm-hmm. calling our uh representatives, here's us doing petitions, here's mm-hmm. our list of demands. Are y'all gonna help? Mm-hmm. I don't see them, but okay. So it was more like let's just take this approach because if we have thousands of people come out, there is going to be coverage. Mm-hmm plus i mean it, it is a way to um to highlight people's stories people's personal stories because we hear all the time 84% of people want medicare for all well okay but there's there's a reason behind that so mm-hmm. like at at our march in dc where i'm going to be the mc we have a cancer survivor who got testicular cancer and is in his 20s and uh was turned down for insurance for over six weeks and uh, cancer spread throughout his body. And he was told he was going to die. We have Scott DeNoyer who, uh-huh. um, who whose son uh, you know, committed suicide because he missed a $20 payment for his medication. Um, we have a Republican doctor uh-huh. from Utah flying in Dr. Joe Jarvis to Make his case for Medicare for all. Um, Like we have such a spectrum. uh, There's such a a wide spectrum of of speakers. And and these are people who are going to share stories, you know, Mm -hmm. about like we have Dr. Dooley as a as a keynote in Michigan. And she's going to be talking about what it Mm -hmm. feels like to be telling her patients. Sorry. Um, You know, I mean, we have some healthcare professionals that are going to be testifying to this. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what we wanted. We wanted people who have been affected, people who witness it every day, um, things like that. And and we've gotten some, you know, some incredible volunteers and some amazing speakers and some great locations. And um, so we're just really excited. It's on the 24th. Um. So we're panicking because it's coming up. So close. I know uh, it's only a few weeks away. Yeah, it's nerve wracking, like trying to get everything ready. Like I literally just had to pay $1,700 on my charge card for a sound system for DC. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and I'm like, never going to pay it
0: off. But like, what the hell am I going to do? We can you do the sound system. <laughs> We're to yeah. have more marches, just so we can pay it off for you. We need yeah, more marches. Like, I'm like, I'm not having these people right? speak in a megaphone with a thousand people out there, right? Like, it's a, it's this, this is just a reason that we need to stay in the street, just so you can pay off that sound system. Yeah. <laughs> make it make it pay for itself. <laughs> to stay in the street just to pay for joy sound system please stay in the streets (laughs) yeah seriously like i'm just gonna like take up a collection or something but (laughs) no
1: i mean there's 34 cities you know my Mm -hmm. my co-organizer in dc he's thrown down the same for some damn shitters as he calls it i mean we gotta rent border pots
0: oh my gosh i mean You you know you I, I already have hey, don't just don't stay in this don't just stay in the streets shit in the streets exactly <laughs> yes yeah, that's the spirit
1: <laughs> well, it was like I I said to we're Jay, not going anywhere <laughs> like what I said to Jay last night um I you know about orgasming instead of organizing <laughs> like yo there are you brought it up not me there are different ways to get shit
0: done literally <laughs> i support them all okay orgasms for healthcare. i'm for it
1: <laughs> Hell yeah. do what you gotta do
0: do what you gotta do i i'm not here to king shame do what you gotta do exactly Just get it done <laughs> i love it so okay so quickly let's go ahead and get into the controversy Regarding the March for Medicare for all, um, so first and foremost, so the accusation is that um, one of the marches decided to um, platform a a Nazi. I believe this is the accusation, correct? Correct. Okay, so let's go ahead and watch your response video to this. Uh, or at least, at least part of it. <laughs> There's right, so a screen here. We're going sh- to, so we're going to show her tweet on this and the video in which she responds to these accusations regarding, let me make sure I'm on here correctly. Okay. Regarding this, a so-called Nazi who was being platformed by the march.
1: Um we are being called nazis and white supremacists even though many of our organizers are black and brown um because someone infiltrated our group and decided to make a promo um with a uh, right-wing uh white supremacist piece of shit, um and say that they were our keynote speaker. Now, the interesting thing about this is they his name is Matt, Matthew Heinbach, and they listed him as Matt H. Bach. So people are like, why didn't you find him? Why didn't you find why didn't they Google? Well, you're such great detectives. Maybe you should notice that it wasn't the same name. Um, furthermore. Great detectives, why didn't you notice maybe the actual location on the meme wasn't one of our locations? It said Muncie. We don't have an Indiana march. We never have. It doesn't exist. But you guys are such inspector gadgets, right? So you guys knew, right? Okay. So, and then there's people who say, well, you shouldn't have let them get in your group. Okay, great. Yeah. That'd be awesome. So you've never followed someone on Twitter, friended them on Facebook and had them turn out to be garbage. You've never done that ever. You could really, your Spidey sensors are that amazing. That's impressive. So yes, we needed place. We needed things uh, in place that now are. However, If you think that it's not easy for someone to put on a facade and fill out our questionnaire with their email and name and everything and be like, yeah, I'm a leftist, I'm an organizer. Oh, yeah, because that's like so hard to believe someone would do that. Obviously, people are going to tell us, hey, we're trolls, we're coming in to fuck shit up. And we just let them in anyway, because that's obviously what we fucking did. So, yeah that's exactly what happened we self-sabotage our own effort our hours and hours of work every fucking day for the past seven months we've self-sabotaged to have a piece of shit white supremacist speak you guys guys caught us
0: i'm gonna go ahead and stop it there um but honestly that was fire and I love how salty you are. <laughs> well you are pouring salt all over
1: it. <laughs> I, I'm just blown away. I, I'm absolutely blown away. And Daily Beast came out yesterday. With and a I will put up that tweet too. What's that? I'll put up that tweet too. Oh okay. go ahead and keep going. So it it has been proven false, but, you know, uh, not me, but the fact that it was us. Um, But, you know, all these so-called leftists, you know, bad faith actors tagging our speakers of color and saying we're all Nazis when our co-organizers and countless speakers are black and brown And they are in tears because they themselves are being called Nazis. Are you like, I, my mind is blown. Like it's blown that people are that freaking ignorant. I, I these people want to see us fail. They, I mean, they want to see us fail. That's all it is. These are the people, the same group of people who have been trying to find something, um, to hate on our marches about and you know the gross thing is it's it's affecting us and and it's hurting us and it's probably going to hurt our turnouts and stuff like that even though it's been proven wrong it's hurting medicare for all movement the most because Mm -hmm. now you have these 34 grassroots marches with hundreds of volunteers across the country You have disabled people like myself putting in 10 hours a day easily to organize Mm -hmm. this shit. And you have, you know, over 300 speakers. You have all these people and you're sabotaging this. Even though we've put out press releases, now this is proof they reached out to the piece of shit himself, says we've never talked to him, let alone asked him to speak. But yet you still have people who are leftist saying that we deserve this because
0: we criticize AOC Mm -hmm. and DSA and things like that. For those who can't see the tweet, those who are just listening on podcast. So the tweet from Joy says thanks to the Daily Beast for reaching out to this piece of shit and proving we have never contacted him, let alone booked him for a march. And there's a screenshot from the Daily Beast that says reach for comment. Heimbach told the Daily Beast he had never been invited to the rally. Davis could not be reached for comment. There is, And I'm assuming uh, who, who is Davis <laughs> that's a creator of garfield they booked oh too. all right so davis could not be reached for comment there is no evidence either individual was party to the group's internal chaos right. and we'll go i'll go back to your your other tweet too that you say that my my video contribution to this the video that we played a little while ago um my video contribution to this to those who get off on attacking the annoying blind quote, the quote, annoying blind chick end quote fighting tooth and nail for Medicare for all, as well as my response to the absolutely genius attacks on my brothers and spinsters. I I'm co-organizing with. So it's absolutely ridiculous that to basically claim that, And this is this is common of all left organizing like that. There are always infiltrators There are always going to be bad actors in every single organization, in every single movement. Like we know about that. The FBI and the CIA, for instance, are always infiltrating left movements in order to cause chaos, create infighting and basically break up the movements. And this is exactly what's happening. I'm not saying this is the FBI or the CIA, but there are infiltrators that are coming in and saying, oh, let's fuck shit up and decided, oh, you know, we're going to just submit, you know, cause of chaos. Let's platform a Nazi. Ha ha ha. Like, when has there never been a case on the left where people have infiltrated a movement in order to make it look like a sham? That's going to happen. You can't. You can fight it all that you want, and you can put up as many safeguards. that doesn't mean that people are not still going to slip through and mm-hmm. to try to insist that that's not a, that that's not what happened here, that everyone who's mar- like do you really think a bunch of Nazis are going to be marching for Medicare for all? Oh, yeah. do you really think that Nazis are going to be marching to give black people and Jews health care? Are you sure. kidding me? <laughs> Oh no, it's totally
1: believable. Um, yeah, I mean, the you know, and and the way they, uh, what Daily B said, you know, that we couldn't find any evidence either. What happened was, somehow they got in our Slack, so mm-hmm. they went through all our messages and everything. Uh, so they know for a fact no one was ever like, let's invite blah blah blah. Um, so I mean, now this has been proven. It's not going to stop people in a certain hive or anything mm-hmm. like that because they want us to fail um, because we criticize their pop star heroes and things like that. And and quite honestly, they would rather see us failed and get off their ass and do something themselves. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone tries something again, uh, which is something, you know, we we've definitely made some changes. And we have found and exposed one of the people, and there is more to come. Um, And, you know, uh, what it comes down to is that, the person who told me about this on Sunday when it dropped, is a black man. Mm -hmm. And he said, we invited who? (laughs) And he was laughing. He's like, they think we invited a Nazi? I was like, apparently, I don't fucking know. I don't understand what's going on. Like, I- this I sounds patently absurd. It. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. Yes, let's invite a Nazi and the creator of Garfield. Let's do that. <laughs> They'll work well together. Like, <laughs> and the, you know, and, and one of the things I said on the, the end of the video was, y'all act like you weren't there in 2016. We like p- these people are acting like K Hive and mm-hmm. Hillbox. They're acting mm-hmm. like that. Like, right. Yeah. Who was not in Bernie groups in 2016 on um, uh, Super Tuesday and had all of our Bernie groups shut down at the same time because they all infiltrated it with kitty porn on mm-hmm. Super Tuesday? You think something like that can happen, but someone making a meme? is far-fetched mm-hmm. like you are bad faith actors that's what this comes down to you want to try and see us fail you want to um be divisive um and and i'd be lying if i said it wasn't affecting us mm-hmm. it, it is you know we had an organizer of color drop out because she's being called a nazi we had a speaker called out uh call off because she's a woman of color she's being called a nazi This is, let's let's just keep it real. If you're calling a person of color a Nazi, you're a piece of shit. (laughs) And no, you don't care about Medicare for all. You don't care about organizing. You Mm -hmm. don't even care about people of color. So let's just get that right. So Mm -hmm. this is the kind of stuff that's happening. And we are in literally eight hours of meetings a day. Just like trying to, you know, increase security and and things like that. And it's, it's, you know, someday I was just, I I swear I I cried for like 15 hours straight because I'm like, we are giving our soul to this. We are literally, I mean, like I'm talking 10, 15 hour days and to have someone come in maliciously and try to damage everything we've worked for and for people so ignorant to think we would do that to ourselves Mm -hmm. is that's that's the worst part it's not that it happened it's that people are pushing the narrative that we fucking did it to ourselves
0: quickly before we we end um since we're we are getting kind of close on time here so, please, quickly, tell tell the good people, where can they find you, and what would you like to plug? Okay, so, yeah,
1: my Twitter is at SavageJoyMarie1, um, so you can find me there. I have Facebook. I don't really check it, to be honest. Um, you can find my parody book. Uh, the Excellent Ad book. Yes, with I that, have it.
0: my copy here. I have hey. where is my copy. <laughs> uh, I wrote it with Peter I have my copy here. Yeah, Signed exactly. by the one and only. Signed by the one and only. <laughs> yeah, so get that at savageandpat.com. We actually have free
1: shipping right now. Um it has people like Alyssa Shilano, Nira Tantrum, <laughs> um, and uh Nina Burner is the, the <laughs> hero of it all. So you can actually watch Pat and I were on. Uh, Interviewed on her podcast if you want to learn more about the book. Um, But yeah, so you can find us at savageandpat.com. And if you're interested in finding a march, um, but you can go to M, the number four, M4ALL.org. So M4M4ALL.org. And that's our Twitter as well, except for the org part.
0: And I will definitely make sure to put that information in the video description box and the podcast description box. Um, and, oh, and I'm sorry. that. So go, um, go ahead. Some
1: of our cities are st- still have a spot or two open for speakers of disability, speakers with medical problems, um, speakers who have lost a loved one because of lack of insurance, speakers who have filed medical bankruptcy. Speakers are passionate about Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. We still have a few open spots throughout the marches. Feel free to DM me. My DMs are open. That sounds bad, but... <laughs> <laughs> No dick pics, please. No trolling. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so feel free to reach out um, and we can discuss, you know, if you want to dog, just please be advised. It will likely be streamed and there will likely be a lot of people. So um, make sure before you reach out that you'd be comfortable sharing your story and, and speaking in, in front of a large group.
0: Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Joy. It's been such a pleasure having you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Killjoy Guide, a weekly left feminist podcast for the ninety-nine percent. Please rate and review the Killjoy Guide on your favorite podcasting platforms. You can support the show through Anchor. That's Anchor.fm/slash Killjoy Guide. Anchor.fm/slash Killjoy Guide. See you, Killjoys, next time. To believe healthcare is a right, and
1: without healthcare for all, there is no liberty and justice for all.
0: Let them hear us.
1: Medicare for all, because healthcare is a right. Medicare for all, and the U.S. saw the light that every woman, child, and man should have healthcare in this land. Now. Time to finally put it on the table. Contact your legislators and tell them to save Medicare as we know it and expand it into Medicare as we need it. Improved Medicare for all. Because your interests are special too.